lives. And so uh, the series we've entitled is Rescued. And if you uh, were not with us last week, we worked through like a top, uh, I think I said it was 13, but I want to say there were probably 14 because I, I added one at the last minute. But we, we kind of worked through some top rescue movies. And, uh, and so what we're going to do each, each week is, is we're going to pick one of those movies is going to kind of be the theme. So, so I know you can't see the whole title of that, but we all know what that is, the, the last of the Mohicans. So all the slides are going to be pictures uh, from, uh, from that film and from that movie. But, but, but we had, Nate Nowotny and I, is Nate in here, we, we, we had a rescue experience this week that, that you need to know before we move on because we are heroes. I'm surprised it wasn't in the paper. I know. I'm surprised the Daily Press has not reached out to us yet. I'm sure that call's coming. So, so, so our kids swim on the same swim team for, for, uh, for Wynwood. And, uh, and, and it was just before I had, had showed up, and, and Laura was coming out of the house, and, and, uh, and, and she leaves the door open. Their, their house is right across from the pool. And, and so she leaves the door open, and so Nate's saying, hey, you left the door open. And, and, and so and Laura said, yeah, I'm just going to be out just for a second. And Nate said, but you should leave, shouldn't leave the door open, right? Those conversations that married couples have with each other. And so, so they were having theirs in the neighborhood. And, and so sure enough, right, the door's open, and guess what flies into their house? Uh-huh, a bird, right? Because the bird's going, hey, an open door, whoop, and just is right into the house. And so, so the whole meet, he, right, just very calm. He's telling me the story. We're halfway through the meet. I'm like, are you telling me there's a bird in your house right now when you're just here at the swim meet and you don't know where that bird is or what? I mean, the bird was probably, I don't know, about this big. It was about this big. It was about this big. And, and so at the end, because, you know, I'm a good friend, at the end of the swim meet, I said, hey, bro, I mean, do you, you want someone to go help you get that bird out of your house or what? And, uh, and he said, yeah, let's go, let's go. And, uh, and so he was crying, and I said, no, it's going to be all right. No, I'm just kidding. So we walk right across, and we, and we go into the house, and we're looking for this bird, right? And, his, and, and so, so he grabs a machete, and I said, no, we don't need to do that, and, and, uh, because I have learned to ask myself in search situations and circumstances involving animals that need help. You all remember the what would Jesus do, WWJD. Now, the new saying is WWDD, what would Donna do? Donna Pothier, she can raise her hand. Because we, you know, we would be in life group, and, and we would say, what did you do this week? And she, I rescued a raccoon, right? I was like, well, do tell. We need to hear that story. And so I'm thinking, what would Donna do in this situation, right? She would not kill the bird. She would try to rescue the bird. And so I grabbed a dish towel, and he grabbed a big sheet. He was like a World Cup goalie and stood at the entrance of the room so it couldn't get out. It flew into that sheet many times, and to Nate's credit, he never screamed. I almost screamed once when it flew between my legs, and, uh, and I think I still have some marks on my, my calf muscles where it blew through. But over about 20 minutes or so, we were finally able to corral this bird, get it out the back door, and that bird now is safe and alive in Newport News. I know. See? See? See, Donna, you're having an influence. I know. I know. See? WWDD, right? What would, what would Donna do? So, so we're, we're real rescue-oriented rescue people. I know. It, I just had to fit it in because it was a great story. When, when my situation is desperate and my efforts are failing and urgency surrounds me, I need to be rescued. That's the, the primary thought of this series. Each week, this is the intent of what we're trying to help people grasp, that if you find yourself in a situation, in a circumstance, where desperate would be a good word, where, where it's beyond your own ability to change your circumstance and your situation, there's a sense of urgency inside of you, then something inside of you should say, I need help. And so each week, this isn't our main text, but each week I want to add an additional text that just kind of illustrates this idea of both being a rescue skewer and then also needing to be rescued and so I'm just going to read this and this is going to kind of get us moving in the right direction if the story of the bird hasn't already done that for you so all right Luke 5 Luke 5 17 it says one day while Jesus was teaching some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby it seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea as well as from Jerusalem and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus come on and that hasn't changed some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat, but they could not reach him because of the crowd, speaking of Jesus. So they went up on the roof and took some tiles off of the roof, and then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front 
of Jesus, right? You gotta be thinking to himself, the person that opened up his home for this church meeting, right? If you host a life group, especially if you do house party and have children come into your home without their parents' presence there, right? These are the kinds of things that you've gotta be willing to be happening. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Now, I, I gotta think to myself, that's not quite what he was looking for, right? But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves, who, who does he think he is, speaking of Jesus? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Which is always a clue for me that if I had been there and been one of these religious leaders, the point that I realized that Jesus can read my mind, that's enough for me. I'm just saying. It's enough for me. Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? And so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sin. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and says, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. And everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. I love this story because it is the story of the people who are willing to pay a great price to help rescue others. And it is also the story of a person who understood that their circumstance and their situation was desperate enough that they needed the help of other people, but that also that there was only one ultimately who could do what they needed to be done. And it was both a rescue of their physical circumstance and a rescue of their spiritual condition. And if you are here tonight, what we want to say to you is that the same power that resided in Christ's life 2,000 years ago is still with him today and he is here just as he was in places 2,000 years ago and he is here to be your rescuer. And if you're here tonight and you call this your church home, what we want you to get a heart to begin to view your life as that I'm willing to be the friend to help rescue other people and I'm willing to pay a great price to do it. The sense of urgency I see in Jesus should awaken me to the sense of urgency that I should have about my condition. At some point in our lives, if we've not made a vow of devotion to Christ, we should ask ourselves, if, if Jesus went to such great lengths, if, if he was willing to leave all of the glory of heaven, if he was willing to leave all of the privileges of being the son of the living God, if he was willing to lay all of that down for a time and a season to come to our aid and come to our rescue, something inside of us should think, I think I need his help. If, if you've lived your life like I lived my life for the first 23 years, I was living my life thinking that I did not need his help. I was living my life with the idea and the thought that I'm better off without him, that my rules are better than his rules. And as I began to read the Bible for the first time in my life of my own choosing, of my own wanting, of my own desire, I began to have an epiphany, a revelation, a realization that, hey, there's something wrong with me or Jesus isn't right. And if you're here tonight and you've never made a vow of devotion to him because you've been walking under this idea of yourself like I walked under this idea of myself that I'm not sure I need him, that maybe something tonight, a story that we read, a verse that we share, that something inside of you would say, if Jesus, if Jesus, the greatest person who ever walked on the face of this earth, thinks that I need his help, then something inside of me should want to listen. All right, so, so who am I? Not him, because we know who that is, last, last of the Mohicans. How, how many people went home and watched Castaway at some point this week? Anybody? Anybody? No? I have very little influence on people. Okay, that's all right. That's all right. Okay, all right. I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm secure. I'm secure. All right, all right. Last, a little hurt, but I'm, I'm secure. All right, so, so, so prophets in the Old Testament. You got major prophets and minor prophets. There are four major prophets. They are, somebody help me out. No, he was a prophet, right? He was, he was a prophet, but, but I, should have, I should have been more clear who wrote a, who wrote a book in the Bible, right? Not, so in, in, fairness, in fairness to Kevin, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the big D, Daniel, right? The four major prophets. 
They're called major prophets not because their ministries were more important. They're called major prophets because the books that they wrote were bigger. And then there are 12 minor prophets. And we're not going to try to work through that list together tonight. But there are 12 minor prophets. And they're called minor prophets, again, not because their ministry was less important, but because the works that they, 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 they wrote were smaller. And so the first summer that we were here, we moved here in the fall of 2007. So this fall, it's a, it's a big marker for us. It's our seven-year anniversary here with the City Life Church. That summer, I knew was an important summer, right? Because I'm new to this church. The church is new to me. We're meeting in the movie theater, and we've got big dreams and big visions. So I knew the summer series that we picked was going to be an important choice. It was going to define me a little bit in my teaching and my pastoral ministry. And so Vanessa knew this too from having grown up around the church her whole life. So she comes to me, and she says, Fred, what's your summer series going to be, right? A little pressure, right? What's it going to be? This is important, right? This is, this is our life here, right? That we moved here to to do that which and I said we're gonna we're gonna do a series on the minor prophets and she went I kid you not ha! that's great no really what are you gonna do what, what are you gonna do right and I said well you might not go to heaven because you're laughing at the Bible right now I'm just saying I'm just saying right and so, and, and so some of you were here, and maybe you thought maybe that wasn't the greatest choice, but you stuck around, and we're glad you did. But, but we said, hey, we're going to look at these 12. Every week in the summer, we looked at one of the 12 minor prophets, and this series was entitled The Minor Prophets, They Still Speak. And so, so one of the weeks we spent on this particular minor prophet, and so I'm going to just give you a clue here to who he is. He, I was born sometime before 800 B.C., and had a 40-year prophetic ministry from about 755 to 710. Some friends of mine were Isaiah and Micah who brought God's word to the southern kingdom of Judah while Amos and myself ministered and worked in the northern kingdom of Israel. My message of repentance to avoid God's judgment was not well received because Israel was experiencing great political and economic prosperity under the leadership of Jeroboam II. They laughed at my warning of Assyria becoming a great world power and a conquering army because their strength had not yet risen. But when we fell to them in 722 BC, I suspect my words were remembered. I have three precious children and the love of my life is my cherished Gomer. Any takers on who that is? Hosea. Hosea. Who I heard, I heard a Hosea in the middle section. Was that Sharon? All right. Going give to give Sharon the iTunes gift card. Come on. iTunes gift card. All right. All right. And I also want to give a nod to, to Brad who got the DVD last week because I think I heard him say Hosea also. Come on. Nice. Did, he, did I hear him say Hosea? Did I hear him? Nice. All right. I saw his hand go up. I saw his hand go up. All right. We like participation here at the City Life Church. So, so it's Hosea. Can, we're going to get into the story tonight. And can I just say to you that this story is one of the most incredible stories in all of Scripture. This, this story, when you, when you read this story, I kid you not, that if, if you're going to hear it for the first time tonight, your response is probably going to be the response that all of us have. God, you're not going to ask me to do that, right? Are you with me? Sometimes we read stories in the Bible and we say, God, I want to be that person. I want to have those experiences. I want to walk down those roads. I, I want you to call, right? And then we get to other stories in the Bible and we say, God, what an awesome thing you did in their life. And let's, let's go over here, right? Because, because sometimes God asks us to pay a price that's more than big. He asks us to pay a price that's unfair. Sometimes he asks us to pay a price that, that according to the world's sense of fairness, every reasonable person would say, that's not right. And that's what God did to Hosea. The rescue mandate. Every week I'm going to talk to you about a mandate and an invitation. The first part of the message is to talk to ourselves about this idea that we are supposed to be rescue-oriented, that we're supposed to be rescue-minded, that we're supposed to be waking up every day saying, God, what are the, the encounters that I'm supposed to have today to talk to people about you? I, I'm telling you that the challenge that we've laid down, right, it's called 10 for 10, that you're going to do 10 reach cards for, for the next 10 weeks every week. So 100 reach cards over the summer. And so can I, it's, it's changed my perspective. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. I, I, have ne I, I did many reach cards this week. It's the most I've ever done in almost the seven years that I've been here. And there was a part of me that, why, why did it take a, a creative idea and a challenge to ship it? Because sometimes our humanity needs a little help. And it's helped me this week. It's caused me, when I go to places, to, to begin to pray. Say, God, I'm praying that you're going to enable me to have an encounter with someone. God, I'm praying that you're going to show me somebody that I'm supposed to engage in a conversation with you. I was in a store that I frequent just this week, and I've talked to this person many times. 
never talk to him about the church. Why? Because I'm a loser like you are sometimes, right? And so, and so I, I said, hey, could I give you a card? Because sometimes you just want to ask, can, can I give you a card and invite you to our church? And he said, well, I come if, if you'll come share communion at my church. And I said, what? Are you kidding me? So it turns out he's an ordained Anglican minister and pastors a church here. It's a small church that meets in his home. And, and, and so I'm talking to Tom and we didn't know this about each other, right? And then we had this great Bible geek conversation in the middle of the story about the canonization of scripture, but that's what we do as pastors, but that's not for here or there. But I'm just saying, right, if you begin to approach your day, God, use me in some way to rescue other people. It might not be digging a hole in somebody's roof that's going to become famous and written in a book that people are going to remember for all time, but it's not about the fame. It's not about the story. It's about the person, and it's about having a heart that says, God, would you use me? Hosea 1. Listen to the story. I'm glad you're here because if someone told you about the story, you would say, I don't even think that's in the Bible. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the years when Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. When the Lord first began to speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, are you ready? Here it comes. Go and marry a prostitute. You're not looking for that in your morning devotions, right? Are you with me? So that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. That's an important detail. We're going to come back to that. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute, turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer. He, he's got to be one of the most courageous people in all of Scripture. The daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, name the child Jezreel, for I'm about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. That was a valley, and lots of battles took place there in biblical days. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence, and I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. And soon, Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, name your daughter Lo-Ruhamah. Now, I, if you are pregnant and you are picking out names, I would recommend you not use the book of Hosea for advice. Because Loru Hama means not loved. Can you imagine having a daughter, naming her not loved? Sometimes God asks us to pay a price that's not fair. For I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them, but I will show love to the people of Judah and I will free them from their enemies, not with weapons and armies or horses or charioteers, but my power as the Lord their God. And after Gomer had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she became again pregnant and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord said to name him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For Israel is not my people and I am not their God. All right, 2-5. Embedded in this prophetic book is the biography of this man and his family. Now, when you get into chapter 2, you get into the beginning of his prophecy to a nation, but I'm of the mindset that, that, that just as their life was supposed to be a metaphor and a message for Israel, I think that it's fair, and this is just my own interpretation, you might not go there with me, but I think a lot of the prophecy is also to give us some added insight into the life of Gomer, and I'm going to tell you why I believe that. In 2.5, it says their mother is a shameless prostitute and became pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water and for clothing of wool and linen and for olive oil and drinks. Now, some people might say, well, this is a prophecy against Israel. It is, but in order for God's prophecy to Hosea about what his wife was going to do to be true, then this piece of information has to describe Gomer. Because God said, God said that her some of her children are going to be born in prostitution. Now, there's no detail given to us that she had children when she came into the marriage. In the context of chapter 1, even though it only says of the first child that that was Hosea's child, the context, would I would say, is that the next two were his also. Some people would disagree with that. So I'm just giving you that. I'm not saying that you've got to agree with me on this, but I, I want you to see what I believe God is saying to us. And another reason why I believe that 2.5 is speaking of Gomer's life is because when you get to chapter 3, we find that she did in leave walk away from her life. She walked away from her marriage and she walked away from her children. It says, then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again. The only way that he can go love her again is if she's left. 
even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods in love to worship. Are you tracking with the story with me? He's going to marry a prostitute. He, he's got to, it's, it's not somebody that he knows. It's not somebody that, right, that he loves. And it's just that God says, hey, I want you to marry this woman here. And so he goes out. It's an obedient act of, of, of his God. And he marries her. You would think that would be enough. And then at some point, she leaves the family. She abandons the family, abandons her children, goes back to her life. And God says to Hosea, I'm not done with you yet. I want you to go find her. I want you to, to search her out. And I want you to love her. Her. Are you with me here tonight? There are, we read this story. I'm reading the story again tonight for the umpteenth time. I don't know how many times I've read it in my life as a follower of Christ. And every time it's like the first time where I say, God, this, this is not fair. So I, I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver. He had to purchase his wife. Who, who, who here would have the courage to do what he did to begin with? And who here would have the humility to do such a thing? Right? We, we painted this picture the first time we walked through this story together. It's, it's, it's not a pretty picture. He, you, you need to understand, Hosea is wandering through the city looking for his wife, and he's going to find her in a brothel somewhere working, and he goes into the room. She's with some, right? Are you, are you tracking with me? What would you do? I can, I'm getting arrested that night. That's what I'm going to do. Are, are you, am I, just in our humanity, and our honesty, and the integrity of just looking at our own life, and, and, and he is willing to say, I don't care what it's going to take. I don't care how much it's going to cost. You tell me the price because I want to buy her back so that she can be with our family. Now, I'm not going to keep reading there, but, but, but when she comes back, which is an important detail, he puts some parameters around her life, and, and he acted responsibly in this moment of reconciliation. But, but, but let me, can I just contemporize it for you a little bit tonight? I want you to imagine that your son, an adult, not living at home, successful, a leader in his church, a perfect picture of a godly man, never given to any excesses, self-control, de devotion, integrity, generosity, a truly devoted follower of Christ, are words and phrases that often are used to describe him to others. It sounds like the young men of the City Life Church, does it not? The only blessing that seems to have escaped him is a wife. And then you get a call, an invitation to a celebration dinner that God has spoken to him about being married and he wants you to meet his fiance. And you arrive at the dinner and are surprised at how strangely familiar she looks to you. And not only you, but it seems that she has everyone else's attention in the restaurant too. And then it dawns on you that you've seen her picture on the evening news. No, it couldn't be. This is the woman who was just released on bail for running the largest prostitution ring in the city. No, it couldn't be her, could it? See, so it's, it's, it's not just Hosea's story. It's his family story. It's his parents' story. It's his siblings' story. We're not given those details, but we're assuming all of that. So are you tracking with me? That, that we're walking through this story. We're walking through this, this journey together, and then all of a sudden we realize what an incredible price this man is having to pay to be rescue-oriented. We cannot read the Bible with any degree of integrity and not come to the conclusion that God is going to ask us to pay a great price to reach other people, to rescue. Now, he might not ask you to do this. You with me? He, he might not ask us to go this far. He, he might not ask us to be that extreme. But, but can I just say, if you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, you and I, preaching to myself tonight, we have got to have an appetite for sacrifice. That we, we have got to live with a, a willingness to say, God, if, if, if you ask of me, I'm willing to pay whatever price that you would ask me to pay to rescue people. Because when I breathe my last, and you're going to breathe your last one day, and, and when we get to heaven, he's not going to measure all the awards that we've accomplished. He's not going to look at how much wealth that we have amassed. Can, can, can we just agree together tonight that there is only one thing that is eternal, and the only one thing that's going to be counted, and that is the impact that we were willing to have on people, and people who are going to be there because of our willingness to pay a price to help them along. That's going to be our reward. So, so let me just throw out, just to be a responsible pastor tonight, 
Because I don't want you to go out tonight and look for the most ridiculous circumstance and situation you could find and jump headlong into that, right? Because that's not what Hosea teaches us. And, and if you ever find yourself in a circumstance, in a situation where you feel like God is asking you to do something extreme, when we study the life of Hosea, I think there are four questions that we should be willing to ask ourselves. And the first one is this. If you feel like God is asking you to do something extreme to rescue somebody, you've got to be willing to ask yourself this first question. What's my reputation? Speaking of yourself. Do you have a, a reputation of, of, of sometimes getting into things in over your head? Do, do you have a reputation of sometimes, right, if we can be honest with each other tonight, sometimes we pursue things not because of the benefit that's going to come to the person, but because it makes us feel good about ourselves. Sometimes we're motivated by our own insecurities. You've got to be willing to ask yourself some hard questions about your reputation. You've got to be willing to ask yourself some hard questions. What characterizes me as a person? That's a great place to start, to really to begin to discern the second question, which is, what's my revelation? Is this just your crazy idea that you're hoping God's going to get behind, or do you have a word from the Lord? See, because Hosea, he had a reputation, a reputation of character, a reputation of integrity, and he had a reputation of being a prophet, of hearing God with clarity. He had a, he had a, a life that, that he could point to and say, I know this is God without any uncertainty because of the life that I've lived with him. You've got to be willing to ask yourself that question. Do I know for certain that this is God speaking to me, or is it just my own broken need for adventure? you got to be willing to ask yourself, what's your responsibility? If you're going to get involved in extreme rescue, in extreme moments of rescue, you've got to walk forward with a sense of responsibility because so many times the church in its own willingness, sometimes with good motivations, to get involved in people's lives ends up becoming an enabler that harms the person even further. That's why that part in chapter 3 is an important story for us. When he brings her home, he lays down some ground rules. He, you can read it for yourself. He puts some boundaries in place because he's saying he knows he has a responsibility, not just to rescue her, but to not be an enabler to her. That He has a responsibility to really help her begin to change. And the last one is this, what's your resolution? Because if you're going to get involved in extreme rescue, if you can say, I, for, I, I'm comfortable, my reputation, it's, it's, it's one, I'm not doing this out of my own selfish motivation, that I really do have a clear word from God, and, and I understand that I'm going to have to act responsibly. Are you ready to go all the way? You, you cannot get in, involved in extreme rescue and then just pull out halfway in. You've you got to be willing to be all in. You've you got to be willing to say, you've got to be willing to move into the situation and the circumstance to think that I'm paying a price that's so great right now. You've got to be open to the fact that you might just be paying half the price. God just hasn't told you the second part of the deal yet. You've got to be willing to be all in, right? So I'm just saying, I, I'm not saying to, to go out and find the most extreme circumstance and get involved. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you've you got to ask yourself some serious questions if you're going to do serious rescue. But every situation and opportunity to rescue is not extreme. You, you should not say to yourself, if it's not going to be big, I don't want to be involved. You've got to be willing to rescue in every circumstance and in every situation, no matter how, in, matter how insignificant it might seem. We've been given a mandate. Got to love Magua in this movie, huh? He's a great bad guy. So I was digging around online this week, and and, uh, is that post-it note for me? Is there something I need to know? All right, so I saw you put that on the seat. So I'm like, all right, just making sure. All right, I'm looking at the clock. I'm doing all right. All right, just checking, just checking. It's a lot of responsibility up here. All right, all right, okay. 25 most incredible survival stories. Found this online. I'm going to be working these in all summer. They, I was glued reading these stories. And, and so I picked one that I'm going to share with you tonight. It's not for the faint of heart. I'm just saying. True stories, right? They were categorized, this one is a gentleman by the name of Hugh Glass, and it, it, was, it, was, it was the best survival story of someone who was left for dead. Right? You, you just, I know, you can't wait to hear it, can you? I know. Hugh Glass was a mountain man on a fur trapping expedition led by Andrew Henry in August of 1823, and the expedition planned to proceed from the Missouri River up the valley of the Grand River in present-day South Dakota, Glass surprised a mother grizzly bear. See, now you're, this is where it goes bad, right? Surprised a mother grizzly bear with her two cubs and sustained massive injuries. He managed to kill the bear. He did not do what Donna would do. He managed to kill the bear with help from his trapping partners Fitzgerald and Bridger, 
but was left badly mauled and unconscious. Expedition leader Henry was convinced that Glass would not survive his injury, so Henry asked for two volunteers to stay with Glass until he died and then bury him. So Bridger, the 17-year-old, and Fitzgerald stepped forward and began digging his grave. Bridger and Fitzgerald incorrectly reported to Henry that Glass had died. Glass regained consciousness to find himself abandoned without weapons or equipment. He was suffering from a broken leg, cuts on his back that exposed his ribs, and all his wounds were festering. Glass was mutilated. This is a great story right before we have dinner together, isn't it? Glass was was mutilated and alone more than 200 miles from the nearest settlement, so he set his own broken leg, wrapped himself in a bear hide that his companions had placed over him as a shroud, and started to crawl. Gotta love you, Glass. Are you ready? Just when you thought it couldn't get any more gross, here we go. So to prevent gangrene, Glass laid his wounded back on a rotting log to let maggots eat his dead flesh. Yes, he did. Glass survived mostly on wild berries and roots, reaching the Cheyenne River after six weeks of trout. Six weeks! Six weeks! He fashioned a crude raft and floated down the river, navigating using a prominent landmark, aided by friendly natives, all right, here we go, who sewed a bear hide to cover his exposed wounds. Not sewed a bear hide together to be a coat, but sewed it to be a false skin to his body. I I know, you with me here? I'm like, Lord, I'm coming home. (laughs) Glass eventually reached the safety of the fort, and what the story doesn't tell us is anything more about Fitzgerald and Bridger, who I'm sure he eventually found and had a really nice conversation with them. Now, why am I reading you that story? See, originally I was going to read you this story to talk about this idea, right? Because it would have been really good at this moment to talk about the price that that sometimes we have to pay. But I'm going to change gears with you a little bit because this is, as I was reading this story, this is what I felt like God spoke to me. I'm just just being vulnerable with you tonight. What I felt like God said to me is, this is how you act when, 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 when it comes time to just in your everyday life, when I'm asking you to interrupt your schedule to really just talk with someone about me. I'm like, well, what do you mean, God? And I felt like what God was saying to me is that sometimes, your emotional response to my intervention in your day, to sometimes just to give somebody a reach card, it is as though I've asked you to wander out into the woods, find a bear, disturb it, be mauled, be unconscious, lay over a dead log and let maggots eat at your rotting flesh, set your broken leg, make a raft, float down a river, have animal skin sewed to your body and just barely eke out survival. Am I the only one or are you with me, right? So I'm just saying, some of you last week when I said, hey, we're doing 10 for 10, and you're thinking, what's that about? It's about 10 cards for 10 weeks, 10 cards every week, 100 cards over the summer. For some of you, you're like, I would rather be mauled by a bear, right? And so I'm, just, I'm just being honest with you. So if, if, we're not going to do it, but what if we had everybody stand who gave out 10 cards this week? What if we had everybody stand who gave out 9, 8, 7, 6? What if we had everybody stand who sat through this service last week and didn't give out one card? What what does it say about something on the inside? It says something about on the inside that needs to change. That when God asks us to get involved in rescuing other people, we have got to begin to to talk. I have conversations with myself all the time. I know I'm a little bit schizophrenic, but so should you be if you're a Christian, right? Because when you read the book of Psalms, David is, David, wow, I'm working these accents in. It's the World Cup. Last week it was Australia. I don't even know what that one is, right? So when you read David in the the Psalms, he's talking to himself all the time. Hey, look, so we're going to bless the Lord today. As if there's somebody else standing there with him. And and for us, we've got to do that for ourselves. We've got to say, hey, 10 for 10. I'm believing God. And if you don't get to hand out 10 reach cards, it's not about a contest. It's not about feeling good about yourself. It's about living your life with a mindset and a mentality. I want to be rescue-oriented. I want to have a rescue mindset. I want to wake up every day saying, God, who are you going to bring across my path? Even if it's just something small, an invitation to have a little taste of what we've experienced together already tonight and the pasta that is good for you. Vanessa wasn't sure. You've got to be willing to say to yourself, I'm, I'm just tired 
of those emotions that I know that are not of God, that are robbing me of having an impact on people's lives, shut up already to yourself. Just say it to yourself. Shut up. This is a privilege. It's a privilege. It's not a burden. It's a mandate. Luke 10, 1 through 2, just so you can feel better about yourself, the church has been having this problem for 2,000 years. Even Jesus himself had a hard time motivating people to do what we're talking about doing tonight. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them. He had already picked the 12, now it's 72. This is a great text to our whole approach to concentric circles, models of leadership, but that's another sermon for another time. Sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places that he planned to visit. And these were his instructions then, hey, as you're going, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, hey, there's more work to be done than people who are willing to. Can we just let some resolve settle into our hearts tonight? Say, we're going to be a generation that changes that. We're going to be a generation that turns the tide. We're going to be a generation and a church in this region, in this area that says, God, I, I just, I can't get to those people quick enough. Can, can we just resolve in our hearts tonight that we're not going to let Luke 10, 1 through 2, be a verse that describes who we are as a community. We are not trying to grow this church for growth's sake, that we're trying to have an impact on people's lives. And the only way that that's going to happen is if you begin to change how you live, I've got to change the way I live. I've got to let myself become rescue-minded every day of my life. We're getting ready to leave for, for vacation and and uh, um, so, so I'm not going to be handing out reach cards in the place that we're, we're going because, because the, 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 it's, it would be quite a drive for people to come to the church. But we have these family cards that we printed up years ago that tell a little bit about our story and that talks about making a decision for Christ. It's these nice little cards. We've got stacks of them. You know why? Because we've never given them out. <laughs> Maybe four, right? So I'm taking those. I'm just, I'm taking those with me. I'm taking those with me, right? I, so because it's not about a reach card, it's about a mindset. And, and no matter where we go, right, when, when, we, and when I get back from that, I'm just going to be here for a few days and I'm going with my friend Marvin to Haiti, right? I'm taking those cards on the plane, in the airport. I want to be rescue-minded. I do not want to get to heaven and God say to me, I got something to show you. I want you to see all the people that you were supposed to touch and you chose not to do it. I don't want to weep through those first few thousand years. I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Your humanity is still going to win out. My humanity is going to win out. But what we're saying as a church, it's time to change. It's time to come up. That's our theme for the year. We're going to live different, we're going to be different, we're going to act different, and we're going to come out of the summer in 10 for 10. It's just going to become a normative part of our lives. All right, I'm not preaching again for a few more weeks, so I'm going to tell this other story because I just have a lot to say. So this week, so, right, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's getting towards the end of the week, and I realize I got some more reach cards that, that, that I need to give out, right? And so I've set this goal for myself, because that's helping me change my mindset. That's part of my personality. And, and, uh, and so I realize I need to do a few more, and I, I have not eaten lunch yet. I've, I've been digging into this message. It's about 2 o'clock, and I just got distracted and lose, lose, lost track of time. And, and, uh, and I'm really not that hungry anyways after I read 25 of those stories about people having maggots eat their flesh off their body. And so, so But I said, hey, I could go to Chick-fil-A, which is right around the corner from our offices, and, and I I could give a reach card to the cashier and then I could pay for the person's meal behind me and give two reach cards to the cashier so now I'm upping the game I'm recruiting other people to give reach cards out for the church right and 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 I'm saying please God don't let there be a school bus behind me when I go through the drive-thru right and and so I get to Chick-fil-a where there's always a line at the drive-thru no matter what time of day it is I get to the Chick-fil-a there's not a soul there right I'm thinking come on right where are all the people at so I waste a little time and read the menu even though I know what the menu is and I'm just I'm giving God some time to help me out right and so 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 I get up to the window and Abby Rogers is in there I'm like hey Abby how are you doing and so we're talking a little bit and and uh and so I realized well I'm probably just I can't give a reach card to her she already comes to the church right so this is really not working out good for me and so but then some other young lady came over to to begin to help out because Abby's doing lots of things I think she has some type of managerial position there so she got pulled away thank God so that there was a stranger that I could interact with right and so and, and so and, and so so she's talking with me and she says we don't have any fries when's the last time that you've been to Chick-fil-a and they don't have any 
fries made, right? And so, so they didn't have any stuff like, God is on my side. There are no fries because I'm supposed to wait for someone to come. And sure enough, there's a car that pulls around the corner. I'm like having revival in my car there in the drive-thru. And so when the person comes back over, I said, hey, could, could I pay for the person's order behind me too? And she said, oh, that's so nice. And I said, I know, I'm a really nice person. No, I didn't say that. And, and so... I think I pulled a muscle right here when I was going like that. And so I said, hey, and would you be so kind to, to give them these two cards just on behalf of our church? And, and uh, uh, would, you, would you be willing? She said, oh, absolutely, right? Three cards, boom, done, right there, right? And so, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm driving away, and, and, and I'm telling you this story, right? It's a funny story. It's a funny story, but I, we have to change. And, and if it takes some goals, if it takes maybe making it a project at first, can I just say, that's okay with God. It's okay with God. It just can't stay a project. Does that make sense? He, he wants me to live my life in such a way that, that, so that I begin to live my life where it's not about a project anymore. It's not about a goal. It's not about a drawing. It's, it's, it's not about something that I'm supposed to check off my list. It might start that way with us, and God, I'm telling you, is okay with that. What's supposed to happen is our heart begins to change, and I begin to live differently, and I begin to see people differently, and I begin to look for opportunities differently. The rescue invitation which always goes a lot better when you're pointing a loaded weapon at someone. So that's why I picked that slide. If you were to die today, you can just hear him saying it, right? Frank Abagnale. Sharing with you some of my favorite stories tonight. Oh, yeah, I got some time. Come on. Catch me if you can. Love that movie. I didn't actually see it when it first came out. We, we drove, Derek was, was an infant then, and we, had, we were spending time with Vanessa's family in Williamsburg and all of her siblings there, and so we piled into her dad. Her dad had an old Suburban back then, and we piled into it and drove down to the Hampton AMC. This was long before even living here was on our, on our radar, and so we were all excited to go see this movie, and Derek, his whole life, had always slept through every movie that we took him to, and he just cried, right? So I'm in the lobby the whole movie for two hours, and uh, because, you know, right, that's, I'm a good husband, and so I said, honey, no, you stay. You stay in here. Even though she said she She'd rather have life groups without me during the announcements. I don't know if you heard that, but I would just like, I would rather have life groups with her. I'm just, just for the record. <laughs> Steve, Steve Walls and I were back there going, what was that about, right? Come on here. Wasn't Father's Day just, just a few weeks ago? All right. Catch Me If You Can tells a truth. I'm a little loose the weekend before vacation always, so that's... Catch Me If You Can tells the true story of Frank Abagnale Jr., who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio and a successful con artist who at different times during a five-year time span in the 1960s impersonated a doctor, a lawyer, a pilot, and even an FBI agent, passing more than $6 million. All right, $6 million in the 60s is like billions of dollars today. In bad checks over a range of 26 countries, he became the youngest man to ever make the FBI's most wanted list for forgery, hunted and caught by the FBI agent Carl Henratty, Hanratty, played by Tom Hanks, Abingdale later escaped from prison. He eventually became a consultant for the FBI where he focused on white-collar crime. I'm, I'm sharing that story with you because this was my story. Not that I was a con artist, not that I was a swindler, but I lived a life of duplicity for the first 23 years of my life. And so I'm, I'm sharing that with you tonight because as I was praying for the service, I felt like there were going to be some people here that can relate to that story. The, 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 the rescue invitation tonight that, that we're going to be sharing is that if, if you're here and you're saying, you know what, Fred, that's part of my story. I'm this person when I'm with my wife and I'm this person with my friends. It doesn't mean that you're doing horrible things. It doesn't mean that you're doing anything criminal. But, but you've, you've embraced a life of duplicity. That, that, that you've embraced a life that says, I'm okay with being a different people at different times. Can, can I just say to you that part of, of this vow of devotion that Jesus wants you to make, if you've never made a vow of devotion to Christ before, is, is the peace that passes all understanding that Paul talks about as having the privilege to be the same person all the time everywhere that you are. And I sat through lots of services like this, the first 23 years of my life, raised in a Christian home, raised in a, in, a, in a home where my parents had a very real love for God, and, 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 and I, my story is not like some stories where I didn't want to have anything to do with Christianity or religion because of the example of my parents. If anything, that, that if I had never made that decision, there was extra responsibility to me because I had great parents and a great example. So people thought I was a Christian. If I had gone forward in a moment like you might have an opportunity to come forward tonight, people would have gone, oh, right? A gasp would have filled the church. 
That's Paul and Winifred's son. He's in the youth group. He goes on missions trips. He goes to youth camp. You might be here tonight and you would say, Fred, I, I, I sit through these services week in and week out, but when I look deep inside, you know what? I'm not living my life for Christ. And the truth is, I never really have. And, and when I stop and think about it, there's not really a moment that I can point to where I can say it was on that day that I made a vow of devotion to Christ. That happened to me when I was 23 years old, and my biggest regret in life is that I didn't do it sooner. My biggest regret in life is that I sat through service after service, just like maybe you're here tonight and you've sat through service after service, and you've not said, I'm just tired of running from God. Because, see, that's, that's, that's what happened to Gomer. Three years in, three years in, when you do a little research behind the scenes, most biblical scholars that are in the stream than I'm in believe that about three years into trying to be the perfect prophet's wife, she just couldn't pretend anymore and she just abandoned herself to the other life. Can I just tell you that's what the devil wants to get you to do? The, the devil, he, first, if he can't keep you trapped in a place of duplicity, then what he says to you was, well, then just go out and be who you are. Just unashamedly, unabashedly, just quit letting these other people put on you these expectations that aren't your own, and just go be your own person, right? That's what happened to Gomer. See, I'm tired of it. This isn't who I am. It's a false choice because there's a third option. And the third option is to say to God, God, this is hard. This is a struggle. I've been pretending and I don't want to pretend anymore. And so you don't run away. You run further in. And you say, God, I want you to change my heart. It might have started as effort. It might have started because I just knew that it was the right thing to do. But I want to go beyond effort and I want to get to a place of desire. That could be your story tonight. You might be here and you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, but you're saying, Fred, that's my story. I know that if, that if something terrible were to happen to me and I were to go to be with God sooner than I'm supposed to, I'm, I've made a vow of devotion to Christ, and you know what? I'm going to spend an eternity in heaven. But I'm living a, a life of duplicity. There's parts of my life that I know that God's not pleased with. And maybe you're here tonight, and what you've said to yourself is, you know what? I'm just, I'm just tired of trying. I'm just going to be who I am. You are not free to be who you want to be. I'm not free to be who I want to be. If I've made a vow of devotion to Christ, I've been bought with a price, Scripture says. I've got to be the person He wants me to be. I've got to believe what He wants me to believe. I've got to live my life the way He wants me to live my life. And hey, guess what? If it's hard, then we buck up and put forth the effort until the desire comes because that's his promise to us. And if we do not, right, what does Scripture said? Do not grow weary of doing good because at the proper time you'll reap a harvest. That's a fill-in-the-blank text. It's not just about giving. It's not just about, 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 uh, about monetary things, about material things. It's about the heart. He's saying, hey, don't grow weary of doing good. At the proper time there's going to be a harvest of desire that's going to come alive in your heart. Don't pull up too soon. Don't go the wrong way too quick. We invite the worship team to come back. I'm not going to read this. If you're a note taker, you can write this down and check it out. This is a, a text that's been used in terrible ways to advance chauvinism. It, it's, it's a text that's been used to advance legalism and personal appearance. And, and when you really begin to study this text, I just, it just breaks God's heart that it was used this way. It's not about legalism when it comes to personal appearance. And it's certainly not supposed to be used to advance chauvinism. There is something on the inside of us all that is worth rescuing. In this, great, in this great epistle that, that Peter writes to us, he's saying, don't you, real, don't you see? It's not about what's on the outside. That's not why Jesus came. That's not why he died. There's something on the inside of you that God is head over heels in love with. And maybe you don't see it. And maybe the world doesn't see it. And maybe that's not how you would describe yourself or other people would describe you. But that's how God sees you. You are a prize to him. We're worrying about all this outer, outside stuff. In the Greek, it's the kruptos anthropos cardia, the hidden person of the heart. And Peter says, it's a treasure to the world, even if it's been undiscovered. So you know what Gomer means? You know what Gomer means? I love this. The Bible is perfect. Can we just say that? Gomer means complete you read all the names that 
that, 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 that are in Hosea and the meaning and, and what they represent. You think it's an accident that her name means complete? You think it's an accident that there's not some prophetic story in her name? You think it's an accident that the woman that God chose for Hosea, it seems to me that her name should have been a lot more like the names that her children had to suffer through. I don't know if you could change your name back in those days, but I would imagine they tried. It means complete. You know why her name means complete? Because it teaches something deep about God. He always sees you and he always calls you for who he knows that you will become. He always sees you and he always calls you for who he knows that you will become. He always sees you and he always calls you for who he knows that you will become. And in the book of Hosea, we're not told the end of the story of Gomer, but we know it through her name. There was a moment in her journey. We're going to find her in heaven, and we're going to want to sit down and talk with her for a few millennia. Of the moment where it wasn't about effort anymore and it became about desire and her life, although she wanted to be complete through all of these earthly relationships, she finally gave her heart fully to her creator and to her father and she found the completeness that she hungered for and longed for and was desperate for all the days of her life and if you're here tonight and that's your journey and that's your story and there's a longing inside of you, I'm telling you we're going to sing this song together. There's going to be an opportunity that you get to come and stand at this altar. I'm excited about this series because we're going to lay it down every week this summer that there's an opportunity for you to come. What's special about up here? Nothing special about up here. What's special is that you're willing to be seen, that you're willing to be counted. This was a huge message for us back in the summer of 2000. And I remember John Winter was there. He was newer to the church then. And, and, and that, it, it, it was a great Sunday for us, it was one of the first times that people were shoved into the aisles just to get to the front of the church. You remember that, John? It was powerful. We all left that day going, God touched us. It's hard to have an altar call in the front of a movie theater. Are you with me? There's just not a lot of room. It was one of our prayers that we began to pray, God, give us a building where there's space for people to come and respond to you. And look what we have today. More room than we know what to do with. So as we sing this song, I don't know why you're coming. You might be coming because you've never made a vow of devotion to Christ. If that's you, there are going to be people that are going to come up here on the side. If that's you tonight, if that's you tonight, then don't leave here without talking to, to pray with one of those people. They're going to be up here during the worship song. I don't know why you're coming, but I'm just telling you, you might be here and you need to come because, because you're not doing a good job of being rescue-minded and rescue-oriented. You might need to come because you're saying... Fred, this idea of duplicity, that, that's part of my journey. I'm not a swindler, but, but there's, a, there's a little bit of, of, of doubleness to my life. Or you might come because you're like Gomer, and you're saying, I don't want a false choice. I don't want to keep trying with no desire, and I certainly don't want to give myself to the person that I used to be. God, I'm coming tonight because I'm saying, God, change my heart. As it says in the, the book of, uh, of Ezekiel, that he can take out the heart of stone, he can put in a heart of flesh. Stand with me. Father, we just pray into this moment that we have together tonight. We, we pray into the, to the sacredness of this moment that we have together, God. If there is someone here that needs to respond to you in any way, God, as we begin to step into this moment of worship together, that they're just going to find themselves. They're going to find the liberty and the freedom that they need to find to come stand in your presence and just say, God, all of who I am, I lay it before you tonight. In Jesus' name, you come.